Hello, and welcome to this session on transforming data-driven decision-making and global development with Tony Sinanayaka. I'm Nigel Chu, and I'll be the MC for this session. We'll be starting with a 15-minute talk by Tony, then we'll move on to a live Q&A session where he will respond to some of your questions. Now, I would like to introduce our speaker for this session. Tony Sinanayaka is a manager at ID Insight, and he leads client engagement and project management for a portfolio of India-based initiatives applying data-driven approaches to maximize development impact. Prior to joining ID Insight, Tony worked as a researcher with the International Growth Center in partnership with Yale University on the design of evaluations looking at the impact of rural electrification in Sierra Leone. Tony has worked on the design of monitoring and evaluation systems for nonprofits in India, evaluation of EdTech platforms in Zambia, and the design of a youth homeless shelter in New Haven. Here's Tony. Decision-making is hard. Good decision-making is harder. And good decision-making within complex institutions? Well, now that's so difficult that 80,000 hours lists it as one of its core priority areas. Many of the challenges being faced by the global development sector require highly bureaucratic institutions with often complex incentive structures to work together. And despite the interest in powerful research tools, their use remains frustratingly elusive, and when they are used, they're often expensive and intrusive. The use of evidence by decision makers is often relegated to side project status, and there's good reason for this. Decision makers need to make timely decisions in response to their key stakeholders, whereas evaluators, especially when robustly evaluating complex problems, take a lot of time. Decision makers face political economy challenges, whereas evaluators are often objective third parties that may not be aware or cognizant of the decision makers' resource constraints. And decision makers are often facing highly nuanced problems that are hard to really define, whereas evaluators like to neatly define innovative experimental designs that allow for the identification of causality. My name is Tony Sinanayaka, and I work for an organization called ID Insight, whose mission is to use data and evidence to help leaders alleviate poverty worldwide. You may know the organization as the monitoring and evaluation partner for GiveWell, or as an organization that undertakes randomized controlled trials. And while these things are true, what I'd like to introduce you to you today is a key strategic focus area for the organization, which are what we call learning partnerships. These partnerships are open-ended, long-term learning engagements, which use a wide range of economic tools, including process evaluations, monitoring systems, data science tools, and yes, where appropriate and demanded, randomized controlled trials. We work with a wide range of organizations in partnership, including governments, multilateral organizations, NGOs, and social enterprises. The idea behind these partnerships is that through the inculcation of data and evidence deeply within decision makers who form part of complex institutions, we will be able to help them amplify their impact or with the goal of effectively alleviating poverty around the world. And over the course of the next few minutes, what I'd like to do is talk you through a couple of case studies 
which show how this has been done over the past few years. I will firstly discuss a partnership with India's innovative policy arm of the central government known as Aayog, and a second example with UNICEF's water sanitation and hygiene team in the Philippines. In presenting these case studies, I will also discuss some of the key challenges and risks that are associated with this learning partnership approach, which all development practitioners should also be aware of. ID Insights Learning Partnership with Nithi Ayog highlights the value of supporting innovative decision makers with relevant evidence and data gathering tools, even where there may be significant uncertainty in the final outcome. Over two years ago, ID Insight partnered with Nithya Yog through the support of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on a project called the Aspirational Districts Program. The program pioneered one of the world's largest experiments in outcomes as opposed to inputs focused governance. The key goal of the program was to fundamentally shift the incentives of public sector actors in order to improve welfare outcomes for those living in districts with significant levels of poverty. To reach this goal, the program aimed to develop performance rankings that would incentivize 117 district administrations across India to directly improve health, education, and economic outcomes for over 250 million Indians. The ID Insight team helped build the underlying measurement framework for the program, and we provided rapid primary data collection on outcomes for 27 of the 117 districts being monitored through the program. The theory of change for this model is based on three pillars. Firstly, we help develop a system of friendly competition to create accountability within district governments for their final outcomes using high quality contemporaneous data. Secondly, we embedded and collaborated within the IO and worked hand in glove with all levels of the bureaucracy to help implement the program. The team was directly involved in advising on what may be important to measure, testing and collecting data, looking at the responses, and then iterating and evolving the measurement approach. Finally, the ID Insight team helped creatively bring together the horizontal and vertical tiers of government many layers of government, with the aim of converging on a more effective, results-based governance system that could help lead to improved welfare outcomes. While identifying causality is challenging for a program, program like this, there were many positive signs. For example, health outcomes in the mentored districts reveal significant improvements, including improvements in registration of pregnant women into the health system, improvements on the institutional delivery of babies, and improvements on anti-diarrheal treatments through medically sound interventions. As I speak today, the team is preparing to embark on phase two of this project that will build on the learnings that were gained over the past two years. This project highlights a significant opportunity that learning partnerships offer. Much of the monitoring and evaluation process is focused on measuring the outputs and outcomes of an intervention. The evaluation process for such projects seeks to identify causation through a theory of change model. However, this model very rarely takes into consideration the practical logistic, 
operational and often political constraints that are faced by decision makers. These constraints sit in something of a black box. The Nithyayog partnership involved ID Insight embedding ourselves firmly within this black box and seeking to shine light on its machinations. We leverage data in an experimental and innovative way to try and align actors all with the goal of improving institutional decision-making and helping alleviate poverty. The outcomes from the program and the initiation of an ambitious second phase serve as a testament to the potential for this approach. However, there are real risks and challenges. Change is difficult for a program with multiple stakeholders. Key decision makers can change quickly. Moments of aligned incentives can be fleeting and technical partners like ID Insight may not be empowered or trusted enough to affect change on bureaucratic structures. Such challenges can be difficult to overcome, especially in a world that seeks quick wins and tangible evidence of impact. However, they are far from insurmountable, especially when expectations for a partnership are grounded in long-term outcomes and key decision makers are well-informed on the value of iteration and experimentation. ID Insight's partnership with UNICEF in the Philippines provides good evidence of this. In 2015, ID Insight entered a partnership with UNICEF to improve hand washing rates in the Philippines through the High Five program. There's a large body of evidence linking increased hand washing rates to improved health and education outcomes. And it's on the basis of that evidence that the High Five program is evaluated. Phase one of the partnership involved both a randomized controlled trial and a process evaluation. Initial rates for hand washing were extremely low. And despite a 3.7 percentage point increase in hand washing rates, the rates were still much lower than the desired 15% result that UNICEF had set. So as part two of this project, the team assisted in advising the redesign of the program. And in 2018, the team completed an event study to evaluate the effectiveness of this new approach. Unfortunately, the evidence from this event study were insufficient to invalidate the null hypothesis of no impact. And as such, ID Insight recommended that the program be discontinued despite some early signs of success. Subsequently, UNICEF and the Department of Education in the Philippines agreed and followed this recommendation. However, in late 2019, thanks to the ongoing support from UNICEF and additional support from USAID, ID Insight embarked on an investigation of a new approach as part of phase three, behavioral nudges an approach that had shown some early signs of success in Vietnam and Bangladesh. The team focused on a series of promising nudges such as coloured footprint paths, strategic placement of soap and visible signage amongst the schools and undertook a randomised controlled trial across 132 schools to try and uncover any potential causal impact. The findings from this, from this trial were incredibly positive with a 17 percentage point increase in hand washing rates amongst students, which was equivalent to an increase of 148% from baseline, along with a slew of other positive outcomes. Consequently, the Department of Education in the Philippines has incorporated this intervention into its reopening plans for all eligible primary schools 
following COVID. This intervention has the potential to be highly cost-effective and is possible thanks to the trust built up by the ID Insight team over the course of multiple years. Furthermore, the team were able to respond to the demands of decision makers thanks to our local context and deep knowledge of the program. And while it's true that RCTs played a key role in the final evidence collection, the contextualization of these trials within a framework of a trusted embedded partnership allowed for multiple iterations of the intervention. This case study highlights a challenge, however, with the learning partnership model, and that is maintaining impartiality of evaluation activities when the evaluator is also involved in advising on the design of the intervention in question. This role requires a higher duty of care and great transparency. And while this is a level of care that at ID Insight we strive for on all projects, irrespective of whether we've been involved in advising or not, there are risks associated with conflicts of interest and the results being accepted by a general audience. This risk is something that our teens are acutely aware of and seek to ameliorate through high levels of transparency, pre-analysis planning and over-communication. As we seek, as we speak, sorry, the Philippines team is looking to embark on a new learning partnership that will be focused on understanding vaccine hesitancy and rapidly testing interventions aimed at increasing the demand for vaccines. Good decision making within complex institutions is difficult. For all of the reasons I mentioned earlier, one-off impact evaluations are not always the most effective means through which to drive effective impact. At ID Insight, we've been focusing on the development of learning partnerships as a mechanism through which to broaden, deepen, and increase the likelihood of positive impact. There's been a lot of discussion recently around economic growth versus random Easter-style interventions for driving effective change and the relative merits and efficiencies of both. I believe that the development of learning partnerships has the ability to develop capacity amongst institutional decision makers that will lead to more innovative and experiment-driven interventions. In the short term, these may manifest as more randomista-style interventions, such as behavioural nudge-informed hand-washing treatment. However, in the long term, I expect to see a fundamental shift in the way decision-making within institutions is performed, as we're currently seeing in the early stages of the Aspirational Districts program. Now, learning partnerships are not unique to ID Insight. Evaluation organisations around the world are identifying the importance of embedding themselves within the black box that is institutional decision-making. It's my hope and belief that this learning partnership style of economic development will lead to a better level of decision-making and consequently will help in alleviating the suffering associated with poverty around the world in a more effective way. With that, I thank you for your time and I'd be happy to take any questions you may have. Thank you for the talk, Tony. I see we've had a number of questions submitted, so let's kick off with the first one. Do you have a particular process or framework you're planning to follow for a scale up of the notch intervention you shared? 
Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. So the first thing I must caveat is that I can't speak to this specific project. I'm not on the project team, and so I'm not aware of their exact plans. But more generally, as we think about uh, frameworks for utilizing data in scaling up projects, there is um, sort of general frameworks in place. Essentially, it comes down to using the right data, uh, the right tool for the right question. So you can imagine at the start of a project, at the start of the intervention, there is and a demand for trying to understand whether the theory of change even makes sense and whether the need exists for such an intervention. So in situations like this, we may leverage theory of change workshops and need assessments. There are, in a similar way, through the life cycle of a project, all different types of tools that may be most appropriate, ranging from process evaluations, where you use qualitative data capture to understand whether an intervention is being implemented in the desired manner, all the way through to as, as we all know, randomized controlled trials to try and disentangle causal inference, essentially saying, did X cause Y? Um, for this specific case, when we're talking about behavioral nudges, as I mentioned before, an impact evaluation, essentially a randomized controlled trial was used. And I imagine that they'll try to scale up these randomized controlled trials and leverage other tools as appropriate for making the correct decision at the correct time. And maybe related to that question, thank, thanks for your response. What are the most common mistakes that you see being made in attempts to, pro to promote behavior change within the context of global development? Yeah, so of course, behavioral nudges have been very much at the forefront of people's minds. There's been a lot of literature on the space. The book nudges Cass Sunstein's work and partners with Kahneman and um, Tversky. Um, I think there's great opportunity for leveraging nudges within the global development space. Organizations like Usara and Ideas42 are doing incredible work uh, in the area. I think one challenge that does exist is trying to effectively quantify the impact of various nudges. Behaviors, um, behavioral nudges are very complex interventions and it's very hard to disentangle the exact causal element of each specific nudge. So quantification is quite challenging. It requires a certain level of judicious control um, and patience, which is difficult uh, for all the, all the reasons I mentioned in the presentation. Another one about process in a way. So how does ID Insight incorporate intuition while making data-driven decision-making, um, you know, given the, the imperfections of data processing? Is it given any weight? Yeah, this is a... I think a, quite a complex question probably requires just a little bit of unpacking. Um, when thinking about intuition, I would argue there are various forms of what you could classify as intuition. There are certain things like implicit bias, which sort of change the way we intuit uh, questions and the interpretation of data, essentially the way that we operate as, as functional human beings. And to the extent that we can process out some such types of implicit bias or intuition, I would argue that's a fool's game. There are other forms of intuition, uh, maybe the design of a survey. What questions are you going to put in a survey to a respondent? What answers are you going to put? Um, those types of intuitions are always going to exist. Generally speaking, however, what we like to do is try to rigorously test as many of those intuitions as possible. So more specifically, what that might look like, and actually this is similar to a project I'm working on right now, we will base the design of a survey off a number of conversations we have 
with, say, government stakeholders. However, we'll then go through a rigorous set of pilots with the actual types of respondents who will be the final respondents for the survey, all with the goal of trying to rigorously test those more explicit intuitions. We try to be very uh, purposeful in the way that we deal with that. A second little element there is um, sort of the inference that data processing has certain intuition associated with it. I, I would agree with that to some extent. I would similarly argue that um, good data analysis and good data processing has the capability of removing a lot of the intuition. And, and I would argue that's actually one of, one of the benefits of leveraging data for decision-making is to try and remove um, the biases and intuition that one may have. A bit of a related question. So um, with regards to the challenge of maintaining impartiality, do you think this is a, pure, a purely human or institutional problem, or do you think there is scope to incorporate um, fairness considerations into data science or machine learning algorithms? Yeah, so I, I won't speak to, to machine learning algorithms because that's just not something I'm personally um, too expert on, and I know that that's a really big area. I do believe there's huge, huge opportunities for thinking about concepts like dignity, fairness, as you said, in how we design, interpret every element of uh, economics in, in the development space. It's a, a, an area for huge growth within development right now. It's something that we as an organisation have been spending a lot of time on. We um, were working with the Dignity Project who focused their time on exactly this. Um, maybe one good example here is the beneficiary preferences work that some members of the team focused on uh, to help inform uh, some fairness doctrines within GiveWell's rankings of their uh, most effective charities. So um, it's something we think about, but I think there's huge opportunity for growth. Maybe one final question to wrap it up. How much does politics affect ID Insights effectiveness in engaging with policymakers in evidence-based decision-making? I know we're running short on time, so I'll, I'll leave the answer short, even though this probably deserves a, a presentation of its own. Politics plays an absolutely massive part. Um, to argue, particularly in learning partnerships, that you can devoid yourself from the political realities, the political economy concerns of your stakeholders is to do a injustice um, to being a, a true, trusted, embedded partner. Thanks very much, Tony. And thanks everyone for joining us today.